Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California, unincorporated part of Santa Barbara, uh, Central Coast. We uh, we really aren't part of Southern California where there, you know, there's supposedly it's i mean they are they're getting crushed by covid um and we're starting to get a lot of it here too and that's where i uh, will start with this story because for those of you uh in our accredited investor club you might have noticed an abrupt cancellation of our real estate webinar last tuesday that was conveyed to you uh, by a somewhat cryptic message from uh, the lovely Madeline, uh, who is my uh, who's my assistant. Uh, at any rate, well, here's what happened. Um, you know, I was out there on Sunday. I felt fantastic. I went on a hike with my daughter, my oldest daughter. I have three daughters, as you know. The oldest one's eleven, and you know she's uh, she's got great lungs and she can move quickly and these these hikes here are are you know some of them are pretty steep and stuff and um anyway we did it to, we do these hikes together all the time and we get competitive and we try to break our records and anyway so we so we get to the hike and we're like both feeling great and we let's break a record today yeah let's try to do it so we put on our timer my daughter likes to blast taylor swift for a little bit of motivation and then we set off and ended up destroying our record by several minutes. I mean, both of us did great. I felt fantastic. I have to tell you, I've just been, you know, hiking every day since COVID pretty much. I'm doing all sorts of, you know, working out that I hadn't done in years. Uh, then uh, we went home and uh, my other two daughters were there. Um, my eight and five year old and they really wanted to go out into this swimming pool with me. And the swimming pool, of course, those of you in the Midwest and the Northeast or whatever are thinking, a swimming pool, aren't we in January? Well, if you're in the Central Coast, you can pull it off, uh, especially since, um, you know, I cranked up the pool to 90 degrees. And I think it was probably like 60, you know, 63 or 64 degrees. It wasn't that cold outside. So 90 degree pool, lots of fun. We played in the pool for an hour. So basically what that means is, you know, it's a typical daddy stuff. I just kind of throw them around the pool. They love it. They giggle. And then it was like, you know, you're just perfect. You know, uh, you know, <laughs> we're in quarantine life. Right. And after that, we had dinner and we called it a night. So 
then at you know around three or four in the morning, I had these terrible chills and body aches, and then they got worse and they got worse and worse and worse, and then my um, uh, temperature. Uh, that when I took my temperature at around 5 a.m., it was 101.5, which is which is not terrible, but it is a fever. Uh, and it felt like a flu, obviously. And, of course, given this whole COVID-19 outbreak, I had a bad feeling that it was not going to be my old friend influenza, which I have seen a few times and, and have, have beaten. Um, so, anyway, I got myself tested. Uh, at one of these drive-through test centers at around 8 a.m., uh, you know, and you just, uh, I waited in the parking lot. You just drive up, they stick something in your nose, do a little swab, and, you know, they, they'll let you know in like 20 minutes. So I just waited in the parking lot. Uh, and then um, while I was waiting that 20, 30 minutes it took to get, I was starting to feel like, man, my lungs feel tight. It's a little harder to breathe. Well, sure enough, 30 minutes later, a guy pops up at my window and he says, you know, make sure it's me and, and uh, tells me I have a positive COVID-19 test. You know, what's weird, though, is like during that wait, I could literally feel myself getting, you know, sicker by the minute. It was just, you know, it was that it just things seem to be progressing so quickly. So based on that, you know, and based on the fact I'm a lifelong, you know, childhood asthmatic, you know, I was an athlete and all, but I've always had asthma, you know, some, some flare ups and, uh, that kind of thing. I, I, I knew I needed to be proactive, you know, to get myself the best chance. Uh, so I went straight to the hospital, especially with how rapidly everything seemed to be going south. And, um, as I walked a couple of blocks from the parking garage to the emergency room, you know, I could, literally sort of feel my strength leaving my body and it was working harder and harder to breathe. I mean, this is just happening so quickly. Honestly, it was scary. So, uh, you know, the waiting, uh, the waiting room for the emergency was outside, which I think they got to change something there. Or they at least got to, cause it, you know, it's not cold here, but, it, but it's also, you know, 60 some, if it's 60 degrees or something, it's still unpleasant for people who are uh, you know, at fevers and uh, COVID-19 to be sitting outside. And anyway, uh, they were, they do the best they can. My, they need some of those restaurant heating lights at least, I think. But the waiting room was outside and everyone there was pretty clearly COVID patients. I mean, all hacking away and or masks. I mean, lovely image. It's just, man, it totally reminded me of like, you know, uh, images of like, uh, uh, you know, tuberculosis outbreaks in, in third world countries and that kind of thing. But anyway, an hour or so later, I get inside of the emergency de- department. And by that time, my temperature had gone up um, even more. My ener- energy levels at this point are like down to zero. Um, I felt like I'd been run over by the proverbial Mack truck. And my breathing, again, was getting more and more difficult Um, In these situations, I must say, I am very grateful that I did go to medical school and that I am a physician because, you know, I I knew I needed to be proactive and um, so I can have some conversations with physicians and and honestly, they just probably take me more seriously and let, let, you know, let me kind of drive the show. But, um, you know, I had a a conversation with my primary care physician while I was waiting 
in the emergency department. And she told me that they were giving a, um, a very select group of patients a somewhat uh, experimental drug. Um, it was just a monoclonal antibody uh, that uh, a lot of you physicians probably know, although it's really hard to pronounce. I'll even try it. It's like bam, bamlanivimab, bamlanivimab, and um, I just call it bam, all right, like bam. Anyway, even though I did not uh, meet the age and weight criteria uh, for you know what they were asking at uh, you know to to you know allow people to get this particular drug. Um, I was able to argue um, my way into getting it because I have underlying asthma. I always get these secondary infections in my lungs, etc. cetera. Uh, they didn't really fight back. And I was like totally relieved because I thought it was going to be a pain. Just be like, please do this and save me because this just feels terrible. And I know my lungs. But um, anyway, uh, they didn't fight me on it. you know. But I got to say, again, I was just lucky enough to be a physician and asking like what is out there that I could possibly do, you know, to, to not go pure play defense, uh, you know, on the first day when it's probably the most critical day to do something. Um, so this drug, you know, uh, this is the one that, you know, a lot of the septuagenarian politicians on TV um, got and they miraculously recovered in no time. Um, so I got those goods it was in a, a couple hours in an IV in my arm uh, in the emergency room, and then I got sent home. Um, anyway, I was, uh, you know, I was in pretty rough shape, um, and I, even though I dro- drove to the hospital, I got a ride back, left my car at the hospital, and when I got home, I'm lying there on the bed, and um, at that point, like, not able to even move, barely able to be coherent and talk and my temperature is just under 105 degrees um now just for reference again remember the day before this all happened we're probably talking about 12 you know 12 hours before all this i am out there like hiking and feeling great and being you know young and healthy and all that business uh it's just absolutely incredible how fast this thing took me down. I mean, and, and I say that because, you know, I've had the flu a few times. This thing is, this is a beast. Anyway, that night, um, you know, that night, that's Monday night. And, you know, after I got the monoclonal antibody, um, I went, you know, I, I basically just, you know, passed out and slept for about 15 hours. And during the night I must've, you know, I sweat, I'm like sweat gallons, you know. I think that monoclonal antibody was, you know, taking it directly to the virus. And my whole body had essentially become like this, um, you know, this place where there was a war brewing between, uh, you know, the the virus and the antibody. And, you know, I was feeling all the explosions and, you know, all that stuff and steaming up gallons of sweat all night long. Uh, just incredible. But guess what? I wake, you know, I wake up 15 hours later and I'm like, Hey, I'm alive again. And I, not to say I felt great, but then I felt like, okay, yeah. And I feel like I just, you know, now I kind of have the flu. I don't feel like, you know, I don't feel like I was possessed by Satan. 
Um, and, and so then I, I kind of had the flu, uh, and I have to say, I truly believe that change was because of that, that monoclonal antibody, uh, bam. So if any of you get it, and if there's any way you can get this monoclonal antibody in the first, you know, as soon as possible, cause that's when you have to get it. Uh, I highly recommend it. And I keep hearing, um, physician colleagues telling me how great it is. And then I, I heard some reports that it's being underutilized. Um, and I don't really quite understand why it just sure seems like, you know, maybe we make it less strict and you make, you know, people, people who, uh, kind of, you know, they don't have, they, you know, the, these criteria are like, you don't know, have to be over 60 or you know, diabetic or, you know, all this other stuff, at least my hospital did. Uh, I hope they changed that because it, I think it really made a difference for me. So anyway, so as I record this podcast uh, today, uh, I am now on day five, at least of the, you know, the the COVID that I know about. I mean, almost certainly I had COVID, uh, you know, probably for uh, a few days uh, before Monday. It didn't, you know, it, it just didn't really kick my butt until Monday. Um, but anyway, so I'm just counting it as day five. Um, so technically I'm not out of the woods for any kind of like big relapse or whatever, but I got to tell you, I feel pretty confident at least right now. And I think again, it's because of that, uh, that medication. So for the past couple of days, you know, I've just tried to, you know, get a lot of rest. I'm still sick, but manageable sick. And anyway, I hope you, uh, I hope you don't mind, uh, the time I spent telling you the story I did. I sent out the email. I sent an email out to my uh, our accredited investor group, letting them know uh, what happened uh, because of uh, you know because of the cancellation. And I do appreciate. I must. I think I probably. I, I think I got something like four hundred emails. Um, you know, wishing me well, which is very nice. I, I thank you very much for that. Um, and anyway. Even though I am sick, I obviously there's a lot going on out there, and uh, you know there's stuff to talk about that I think it's worthwhile. It may not be your usual um, podcast, but uh, when we come back, um, I'm going to give you some random thoughts on a few different topics that I think are relevant right this moment. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. 
Okay, welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Buck Joffrey, and today I don't have a guest. I'm going to give you some random thoughts, and hopefully you enjoy it. Um, I think that, you know, like there's a lot going on. And the first one, you know, I just talked about my own COVID experience here. And there's nothing like actually getting the freaking disease to really kind of open your eyes. So I just want to give you some of my thoughts on that, right? So my thoughts on this are that I am still absolutely amazed at how laissez-faire so many people seem to be about this disease um, out there and still refuse to wear a mask. It's just such a simple thing, right? Um, you know, does mask, does mask make it so that you're guaranteed not to get the disease? No, it doesn't, but I think it's like 90%. Um, and and it and the bigger thing is you're potentially uh, if you've got the disease and you don't know it you're you're saving other people too, you know I think I think there's just some strange politicization of this disease which I really think is downright crazy and I think those of you who are physicians out there agree with me on this, uh, you know there this there's still people who are kind of acting like it's you know it's a political statement and. It's not. I I don't. Uh, I don't. I'm not saying what we should do about it in terms of businesses and lockdowns and all that. That's a very reasonable conversation to have. But at the individual personal responsibility level, I think people need to just just accept this is real. And and the sooner we are more careful uh, with one another and wearing masks and that kind of thing, the sooner it's just going to go away, and we don't have to worry about it, right? Um, and I'll tell you, um, for, you know, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't really think I was going to get it. Right. And I don't, I don't think most, most people do. Um, and, but those people who are not too worried about it, part of why they're not worried about it is that it it is true that 95% of the people who get this disease are, you know, they get pretty mild symptoms. They may be, maybe even be asymptomatic, but that leaves about 5% of serious COVID disease. Um, and that's still a lot to be somewhat careless about, right? I mean, that's one in 20. I mean, if somebody told you that, uh, you know, there's a one in 20 chance that, uh, you know, if you did something, you would break your leg, you might be probably wouldn't do it, right? I mean, that, that seems reasonable so don't do it one in 20 is still kind of a lot um and people are still dying of this stuff yeah most of them are older they have most of them have health problems that's all true uh but not all of them and that's what freaks me out that's what freaked me out especially on monday look i mean even last i think it was last week or the week before it was very sad to see this it's like a 40 i think it was 41 42 year old congressman he's got little kids otherwise healthy, dies of COVID. Very sad. And you could say, hey, you know, uh, that, 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 is a, that does not happen very often. That's right. But do you want to be the one it happens to? Right? Let's go back to that, uh, the statistics things. I mean, statistics are, are only statistics until it's about you. <laughs> then it's no longer statistics anymore. Because I could tell you that when I got sick, my rational statistical brain was not thinking about 95% chance of being just fine and, and not having any issues. It was thinking about, you know, one of the um, unlucky 40-somethings or 
you know, uh, that we hear about all the time. And I was genuinely freaked out about this thing. How freaked out? Well, this is true. And you can call him to uh, ask him about this. But um, on my way to the emergency room, you know, once I knew it was COVID positive, I made one call. You know who I made that call to? I made the call to Rod Zabriskie because, you know, and I'm talking about Rod Zabriskie of Wealth Formula Banking. Well, you know, him and Christian handle all my um, banking and other life insurance stuff. And the first thing I wanted to know was, okay, tell me again how much, if this thing goes south, I'm going to end up leaving to my kids. Now, we always talk about banking and stuff for the investment part, and that's important. But, you know, that's, I got to tell you, you know, the the idea of something freakish like this happening, and most people don't really think about it, but things can happen, man. And And so I had to call and find out, okay, I had all this, you know, extra term. I could feel, I could, I felt like I could breathe a little bit, no pun intended, breathe a little bit better at that point, knowing that, uh, you know, uh, the, the worst can, case scenario, at least financially, everybody was going to be okay. But that was the, where my mind was, right? Um, so I guess one of the morals of the story there is don't go cheap on life insurance. Even if you're not convinced about, you know, the banking stuff, uh, you know, make sure you get a lot of term at least get convertible term. And then you make your mind up later and you lock in those rates uh, rates now. And just get enough to make sure your family will be okay. Think about it. And especially in times like this, you, you'll really open your eyes. Bottom line is, uh, you know, COVID-19 in your 40s and 50s, you know, in reality, to me, it's kind of like playing Russian roulette right? Yeah, you know, uh, okay, maybe that's a little dramatic and maybe it's a, you know, a big revolver, right? It's a big, you know, it's not one in eight or, you know, whatever your chances are. It's, you know, it's, it's smaller than that, but it's still the same kind of concept, right? You can, you can get it and you're probably, nothing's going to happen. Probably nothing bad's going to happen, but all of the sudden something could happen right? Something very, very bad could happen. And by now, probably um, most people know uh, somebody who's been either severely affected by this disease or, you know, died. Uh, So just take it seriously. That's all I'll say. So do your best not to get it. Um, And, you know, there just seems to be a lot of reluctance about the vaccine as well. Um, you know, I'll tell you, so I kind of, I got, I got uh, vaccinated the old fashioned way myself here and I, I, I don't recommend it. Um, and I do think that uh, I, I would highly recommend getting a vaccination because, you know, the risks and benefits um, certainly, you know, compared to getting this thing are uh, far outweigh the risk, the benefits far outweigh the risk in my opinion. But that, listen, you do what you want to do, but I, I just want to make sure I tell you what I believe to be true, especially after getting this thing. All right, next topic I want to cover is kind of what's going on in politics here. Uh, and uh, if you notice, it's been kind of a a, a rough week here. And uh, remember that uh, have fun storming the castle from the Princess Bride. That's what that rem- reminds me of when 
the, uh, the people who went up there to the Capitol. But um, listen, as you know, I consider myself, you know, Reagan Republican. Uh, unfortunately, there are not a lot of them out there anymore. You know, Mitt Romney, uh, Paul Ryan used to be one of those, and he couldn't handle the uh, current uh, political parties. And I think he just decided he'll just wait until it uh, comes back. I'm not hidden that I'm not a fan of uh, the President Trump. Primarily, you know, it, for me, honestly, I'll tell you what it is. I'm a, I'm a conservative, uh, and um, first of all, he's not he's not a conservative because if you look at what conservative ideology is, it's about small government, uh, less spending, etc. Uh, we got none of that. But on top of that, despite whatever the policy difference is, my big beef is really all about character, uh, and um, and for. For this last week in particular, I hope I hope that was you know what happened, and uh, you know this essentially supporting what happened uh, uh, at the Capitol was was really uh, really tough to watch, and I think it was a tough time in American history. Um, but again, I don't want to get too political here. Uh, I'm hopeful that we have a. We have a good uh, intellectual conservative party that erupts out of this. And I, I know a number of you also do as well. And uh, let's just hope for the best. But at the meantime, uh, this is a show about personal finance. And now we have a Democrat uh, as a president. Uh, we have a Democratic House of Representatives and a Democratic Senate. Okay, um, so that is, uh, that's the opposite of when Trump came in, by the way. So that is, uh, that's rough. Anyway, that has many of us reaching for our pockets in fear. Sure, I get it. Believe me, I'm with you. I am, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a conservative guy too. I'm a little worried about what's going on. But let's kind of back up here and let's discuss what that all means. Let's start out broadly. Um, do I think that Joe Biden being president means we don't have a strong recovery post-COVID? No, actually, I don't. Um, there's a few things. Once, I think he's making it a, uh, he's going to, I think he's taking it very seriously. I think he made it very clear that that is his number one thing to get this rollout of the vaccination, try to get some control because the truth of the matter is that the single most important thing uh, in getting to a post-COVID economy uh, is getting post-COVID, right? So uh, I don't think that uh, I don't think that that is going to uh, slow down post-COVID recovery. In fact, I think it might get us to post-COVID recovery a little bit better now that we can, you know. We can really focus, and it's clearly that is the uh, intent of the administration. Um, now, on the broader focus, I know people think about the markets, and well, now we've got Democrats and you know Republicans. Uh, Republicans are out, and you know how's that going to affect the economy? You know, I used to think the same thing, but if you look uh, at the statistics over time, the truth is that the economy has not fundamentally been influenced by which party has been in the White House, uh, you know, since uh, since the two-party uh, Republican-Democrat uh, system began. 
Um, and, you know, if anything, they're maybe one percentage point on the favor of Democrats. Now, do I'm giving them credit? No, I'm not. I'm not giving anybody credit for anything. Um, it's just the facts, right? Uh, the economy is great sometimes for presidents to take, uh, you know, to take credit for. I mean, look at, uh, you, you know, Trump you know, took credit for what was happening, and I think his tax cuts did help with that. Uh, but then, you know, Bill Clinton back in the 90s also got credit for this incredible dot-com uh, economy as well. So that, I don't know how much presidents make a big difference. Now, if we didn't have Joe Biden, uh, but rather Bernie Sanders, that might be very different. But uh, I think that Joe uh, Biden is actually more conservative than even uh, Obama was. In other words, I don't think his behavior will be fundamentally different enough in the big picture. He's like an institution guy um, for it to truly affect the natural history of what's to come. Uh, I think that, you know, um, like I said, if, if he's focused and makes it a priority to get um, the rollout of the vaccination, that's the best thing he can do for the economy. Uh, the, the Democrats, um, there are definitely 100% going to spend a lot uh, and um, you Austrians are going to be upset at me, but I'm all for some good old-fashioned spending right now, infrastructure spending, especially we've already spent a ton. Like, why would you put on the brakes right now and say, no, no, not an extra trillion now. I mean, we have too many trillion. No, I would like to point out, too, that neither party is fiscally conservative at this point. Um, you know, cutting taxes... But ignoring spending is not fiscally conservative. As for the Green New Deal concept, I know that scares a lot of people. Uh, and uh, But, you know, let's think about it another way. And again, I'm just trying to put these in perspective here. You can agree, disagree, whatever, but I thought I'd give you my thoughts. It will almost, um, you know, a New Deal, a Green New Deal concept will almost certainly involve some tremendous tax-saving opportunities as well. Because remember... You know, Tom Wheelwright says, and, uh, and I learned this from Tom, that the way the government gets to us to do what it wants us to do is through tax incentives. Um, you know, Tom's going to be on the show probably either, maybe not next week, or, but the week after that, um, because we're going to hit, you know, these topics on taxes, um, you know, right away to talk about how things could potentially change. But I know that Tom... Um, uh, has said that before, and I've heard him talk since then. That his feeling is that yeah, uh, we're going to lose some, we're going to lose some uh, tax benefits. But if there's going to be this giant program, this Green New Deal concept or whatever, that has to come along with some tremendous uh, tax beneficial investing opportunities as well. So we have to kind of you know go with the flow and start shifting and start thinking about what it is that we can do um, to try to, you know, be like water, you know, in the art of war, uh, Sung Tzu, you, you know, you, 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 have to, you have to be able to kind of move like water, right? You have to be able to move in a way that uh, the flow is taking you. So um, anyway, so a, a lot of people will say, well, you know, this is terrible, and of course it's going to result in a lot of inflation, I also would just tell you that where I'm not saying again that I think spending is a good thing, blah, 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 in general, I think we do need it now. I think a lot of people 
I think a lot of people would agree with that on both sides. And, you know, the truth of the matter is in terms of inflation, one thing to remember is that as real estate investors who use debt, it actually helps us a little bit. Uh, remember, inflation erodes debt. I'll say that again. Inflation erodes debt. Now, what? why does it erode debt? Well, think about it this day. You borrow money. You borrow money for what it's worth today, right? But if you pay it back 10 years from now and it's worth less when you pay it back, you actually paid less than you borrowed, right? In, um, you know, in, 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 uh, in monetary terms. So the idea is that that's why Robert Kiyosaki always says savers are losers because if you just hold on to your dollars, they uh, will just disintegrate through in inflation. But if they are, uh, if you think about the opposite of that, the yin of the yang of saving is debt. And so that debt actually erodes over time with inflation. So, you know, inflation, as long as it doesn't become stagflation, um, isn't necessarily our worst enemy. Anyway, so what are we going to lose anyway? Well, I think that the chances of repealing the Trump tax cuts are almost 100%. Uh, but the question in my mind is really the timing. Um, are they really going to repeal a tax cut while we're, um, we're, while we're in a COVID economy? You know, I sure hope not. Uh, but I think you should start assuming that it will be repealed and could be very soon after inauguration. So for many of you, the most immediate impact of that will be the inability to take 100% bonus depreciation. Uh, you know, I, that's, that's me too, right? I mean, I have pretty much made that the core element of my investing strategy over the past few years because, you know, I like deducting the money I invest and that's what I've been able to do. Uh, you know, if I invest a hundred grand in something and I'm able to take 85 uh, off AGI, I'll take that any day. Well, um, you know, the hundred percent, um, the hundred percent bonus depreciation almost guaranteed will go away sometime this year at this point, in my opinion, uh, others might disagree with that, but if, if they, all they have to do is repeal the Trump, um, tax law and then, and if that happens, then, you know, then we're back to not having that. So so um, so then a lot of people ask a good question, including myself, which is so when would it end? Does that mean that bonus depreciation is not something that we have anymore as of this moment? Um, so I asked my CPA that question. Now, he told me and again, this is not tax advice. So please check with your own CPA. You know who mine is. So I'm giving you an opinion. Um, he told me that the way it typically works is that any legislation, you know, of this kind or really any kind becomes retroactive uh, up to the up to the day it's first introduced to Congress. So uh, not not necessarily to the beginning of the year, per se, but when it's first introduced into Congress. So say somebody on February 15th, uh, they they put forth new legislation uh, to repeal the law, the Trump tax cuts, uh, and then there's, you know, back and forth, and it's repealed uh, a month later. Then um, it is effective, 
you know, back to the initial time that it was submitted, which would have been February 15th, not on the day it passes, right? Now, there are no guarantees here uh, that that's true. And um, uh, in other words, could they say that it's, you know, all the way back to, uh, all the way back to the beginning of the year? Well, um, most people think that that's unconstitutional. And frankly, there's really no reason to do that. So, uh, you know, if you need to get some bonus depreciation, you may have very little time to get it done. Uh, now, for real estate, you would theoretically need to find a deal, not only find the deal and get under contract, but you got to close on that place before any legislation happens. And um, that's that might be a tight window, but just you know, be be aware of that. Another option, of course, uh, are other things out there that you can kind of get into service uh, quicker, uh, including, uh, you know, we still have the uh, WF Velocity ATM fund, for example. You can see that at WFVelocity.com. Um, and that, that, uh, that would get you in uh, almost certainly before any legislation because you'd be in before, uh, uh, probably before inauguration. Anyway, I uh, I have no idea if that's what the Dems want to do, right? I don't know if uh, I don't know if it's their first move. Uh, I hope not. I don't think it's smart uh, in a recovering market to increase taxes, but we will see what happens. Now, one last thing I will just mention, I think that is uh, actually useful uh, to think about and uh, be somewhat positive about. You know, if nothing else, Joe Biden is, uh, uh, you know, he's got a he's sort of a grandpa type. He's um, he's he's a nice guy and uh, he's stable and predictable. Right. And he's sort of like your typical politician, U.S. president type guy. And the markets love stability. And so there is that additional value. Uh, and I know there are, um, you know, there's lots of people who are bummed out about the uh, the Trump uh, loss. But I. Uh, you know, Trump Trump was a little volatile, and then sometimes that made it very difficult. And my friends on Wall Street, uh, you know, uh, always complained about that. So at any rate, uh, that is my take on uh, politics. <laughs> if you're still listening, I have never done a show like this, by the way, where I just kind of go and topic and topic out. So let me know what you think. Uh, I'm going to take a break. When we come back... I'm going to finish off with a topic that I think a lot of you are thinking about right now, and that is cryptocurrency. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Um, and let's now talk, uh, finish the show off talking about cryptocurrency. Okay, um, as of this morning, Bitcoin had cracked 40,000. I don't know what it's at right now. Uh, it's just incredible. Uh, it's one of those things that, in a way, you kind of knew it was going to happen, but it's actually here and it's happening. It's kind of crazy to see. Uh, we knew it was coming. We talked about it uh, on this show about, you know, the validity of Bitcoin and how it might make sense to have some exposure to it. And I know some of you learned about investing Bitcoin um, or other cryptocurrencies uh, from this show um, for the first time. And some of you I know who bought Bitcoin uh, and other cryptocurrencies for the first time are now sitting on 
thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands of, of dollars of profit and even potentially uh, millions. I know a few of you are sitting on right now because of this boom. And I have to tell you that if uh, you learned about that from me, I have to uh, just remind you that my favorite bourbon is Willet Pot Still. It's a cool bottle. It's like the same bottle they've been using for 150 years or something. Anyway, feel free to uh, feel free to uh, send me that when you have a chance. Anyway, so where are we with this crypto market? Well, um, and where are we going? I guess that's the the question. And I've thought about this a lot. And you know, you have to think about it in historical terms. Uh, what has happened, and this has happened, you know, a few times now. Is historically, Bitcoin takes off first, and it completely dominates. And the, and that and you know obviously you know we've we've seen that phase and then people start to feel priced out um, and then they start buying the alts and they start with Ethereum and then Ethereum takes off and then that gets really expensive and then the rest of the alt markets start to rise. Now that has happened three times uh, in a row now. The question is, will it be different? Uh, this time? And I think it's a very good question and one I do not have the answer to because I wish I did. Um, I sure hope that it does happen again. Uh, The reason I say that is uh, that the majority of the cryptocurrency that I own is actually in alternative coins uh, that, um, you know, I've held through getting beat up. I do own Bitcoin and Ethereum, but um, you know, definitely not as much as I, I, I I'd like to. Uh, however, you know, you if you look at, um, however, if if you know some of these alts, uh, like HBAR in particular is the one that I, I you know I have a big uh, my biggest stake in. If they take off, I'll be a very happy man, and I'll buy everybody uh, a drink. Anyway, uh, that said, you know, right now, where are we? And as I said, Bitcoin is uh, 40,000. I think Ethereum had hit 1,200. So I know that's a 6x uh, growth, um, you know, since earlier this year. Um, so it's, you know, it's already on the, it's already in that second phase, that second part of the cycle that I spoke about. And now we just have to see if the rest of these alts follow suit. Now, I'm not going to give you advice on cryptocurrency at all here, but I am just thinking out loud, okay? Uh, one of the questions that I think a lot of people ask, and my dad asked me, is do I buy Bitcoin now? It's $40,000. And as ridiculous as that may sound, um, we're probably going to 100000 I think we are. I mean, look at this thing. And, you know... The 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 uh, the infrastructure is so different than it was three years ago for this that it's um, really not, really hard to imagine this thing slowing down anytime soon. So, you know, if you if you if you have the stomach for it, uh, it might be something to consider, um, or Ethereum, um, because I, in my opinion, and that's where I would personally be buying right now because it hasn't actually hit its um, all-time high yet um, it, but it but it's getting close and ethereum is you know about as blue chip um, and 
in cryptocurrency as you get outside of Bitcoin. So uh, if you, you know, if you think that this bull market is going to keep going, it's hard to imagine that Ethereum itself will not uh, hit new all time highs. So to me, actually, it potentially makes more sense to buy Ethereum right now than Bitcoin. Um, because I think it has uh, more meat on the bone and it probably will have greater growth uh, potential in the short term. In the long term, I don't know. It's a tough one. I think Bitcoin is going to be here for the long term. I think Bitcoin is going to become part of our financial infrastructure, you know, 20, 30 years from now. I don't know. But um, but in the short term, I think Ethereum is going to grow quicker if you want to try to figure out how to make a profit quicker. Uh, again, I'm not giving financial advice. These are just my opinions. Check with your crypto broker if you want advice. <laughs> There's no such thing as crypto brokers. Anyway, um, by the way, uh, for those of you who want exposure to Bitcoin or Ethereum but are not technical um, and you're just not interested in learning all that stuff, there are ways to get involved. You can get exposure through the uh, Grayscale Trust that are traded on the New York Stock Exchange uh, the Bitcoin, uh, the Grace, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust um, is uh, is goes by the ticker GBTC. Again, that's GBTC. The Ethereum Trust, um, the Grayscale Ethereum Trust, uh, goes by ETHE. So, if you're interested in potentially getting exposure, in theory, these things should be able to you know track performance. You know, there are some premiums. But you pay them in and then you pay, you know, they get paid back on the way out. So they kind of cancel themselves out. Um, that, but they're, they're good options for people who are not thinking about, who, who don't really want to get into the storage stuff. Obviously, if you really want to get into, um, you know, bigger plays and you don't have the technical skills, the other thing to consider might be, uh, you know, bit, uh, the Bitwise uh, fund, uh, Bit10, um, something like that where, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a fund that's tracking the top 10 cryptocurrencies. Um, and you just give them money and, you know, it's, it's like anything else, a private placement. So you could consider that too, if that's something you, you want to do. So, um, anyway, I am going to spend the rest of my recovery praying for alts to recover. Um, and I'm looking at, um, you know, and I'm looking at some of these alts, um, pretty closely to see if I should be positioning there. And the way I'm doing that is, um, you know, listen, there's a lot of newsletters and stuff, but we've talked about so many, uh, you know, various tokens and stuff. And, you know, you have the ticket to worries and all that. Um, uh, one of the things that I've been doing is taking the tokens I know about that are in more, my portfolio already. And they're, you know, they're in the top 50 or, ones that I don't have that I know about. Um, if they're showing a lot of bump right now, I'm taking a few chances because I think there are some opportunities that if indeed that third phase hits, um, we'll see 10 baggers, we'll see 100 baggers. Um, and uh, that happened before. Now, will it happen again? Again, I don't know, but that's what asymmetric risk is all about, right? So if you get involved in this, don't go in and, um, you know, make, uh, put in money that you can't lose. Uh, it's, it's something you take a look at, 
some of these uh, projects uh, that uh, that I think have high potential, I think are priced low. And personally, you know, and, and I mentioned I, I am uh, invested, you know, heavily in, in HBAR, which is the Hedera Hashcraft. But, you know, I think that that, that today actually went up by 50%. Um, that does not saying a lot when it goes from three cents to six cents. And, you know, I think, I don't know, my buy price was like 10 cents. I'm still under, but, but this, when you see that kind of growth and you see a real project, it might be worth looking and saying, you know, that project, you know, is a pretty good project. And, you know, if we are in a, in a bigger market than we were, you know, three or four years ago, uh, maybe it makes sense to get exposure. Anyway, that's how I'm approaching to that. You know, as far as uh, I'll say it again, I, I don't really think outside of Bitcoin, I think Bitcoin is investing. Um, but outside of Bitcoin, I think the rest is speculation. Um, but that's OK. It's asymmetric risk. It's speculation. Uh, you know, have some fun with it. That's what I'm going to do. And if we have some big victories, uh, uh, congratulations. And if they're because of me, I um I need to have, uh, I need, I need some bourbon from you. Anyway, uh, boy, I can't even believe I've talked this long. This is the longest I've talked since getting sick. Hopefully, um, hopefully it was worth your time. Uh, this is Buck Joffrey with Wealth Formula Podcast signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not facts. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.